Well, good morning. And welcome to the fifth weekend service here at New Spring. Uh, we're glad to have you here. Right before we start the talk, though, I uh, want to get you some information about uh, kids' camps that are coming up. And uh, how many of us know we have the finest kids' ministry in the whole world here at New Spring, right? I'll tell you. We are, we are blessed as a staff to, to get to work together, and, and it, there's nothing like seeing the kids get engaged when they come here. I want to bring up uh, our incredible leader of our kids' ministry, our kids' pastor, Dan Kubish. He's going to come and talk to us about kids' camp. Let's thank Dan for all he does. Well, good afternoon. Uh, I'm going to make this quick. We have kids' camp coming up. Uh, it is, starts June 4th. Usually we take reservations or registrations all the way up until the day we leave, practically, but to make the camp fantastic, we go to Quapaw, Oklahoma, 1,400 acres. There's zip line and paintball and horseback riding and all that stuff. But to do the uh, transportation, we have to let the transportation company know about 30 days in advance. So for those of you parents that have kind of delayed deciding whether or not your kid gets to go to camp or not, you need to make that decision very quickly if you can. We'd love for your kids to go to camp. Uh, it's June 4th through the 7th, and when we go to camp, we're not babysitting your kids. It's not a time uh, that we just go down there and play and do nothing. We go down to camp because we think we can infuse God into these kids' lives so when they grow up, they will continue to trust him and have a relationship with him. And last uh, year that we came uh, back from camp, we had over 65 kids take that next step and got baptized at our watermark. So we go down there to work, work on your kids through the Holy Spirit, to change their lives. And so if you would like your kids to go, or maybe you have grandkids that would like to go, or maybe you have a next-door neighbor kid that would like to go, you can just go online to newspring.org, go to the Kids World section, and you can do everything online. You can register them, you can make the deposit, you can sign all the medical forms, everything. You don't have to come see me, you don't have to come to some boring two-hour parent meeting. All you have to do is go in online and do it. Secondly, uh, The Wire, which is our junior high ministry, will be going to camp uh, those same dates. And if you have a kid that is 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, Daniel Mahana would love to take them to camp. But same thing, they have to know 30 days out just for transportation issues. So if you go online, you can register them as well. And now here's the third thing. Uh, we have kids that would love to go to camp. But because some of the parents have lost their jobs or the recent storms that went through Kansas, a lot of parents have uh, unable to, to pay the cost for their kids to go to camp because of the loss that they have experienced. If you would like to help us out to do that, you can just uh, fill out a check or get online. Uh, there's offering boxes in the back as you leave. And you can just put camp help on your check, or you can go online and do that as well. That money is all taken in, and then it's divided between the three camps, which would be Kids World, The Wire, and The Hub, which is the high school camp. And if you would do that, that would be a tremendous blessing to those kids. Finally, if you are interested in helping in middle school, which is The Wire, fifth through eighth grade, they are having a meeting today at 1.15, as soon as we let all the kids out of 252 Theater, that's where the meeting will take place. But we are needing more people to help with middle school ministry. Daniel averages over 350 over at The Wire on the weekend. And by 2013, his goal is to have 500 middle schoolers come every weekend to New Spring Church. And eventually, he has been praying that God will allow 1,000 middle school students be here on campus every weekend. Ooh, does that make you tired? It might. 
but we need your help. And so if you like to do tech or maybe drama or be a small group leader, if you are interested or you think God is calling you into that ministry, they're going to have a meeting at about 1.15 right here in 252 Theater. You can stay right after the service, and he will tell you everything you need to know on how you can help. All right, well, God bless you. And now, here's Jonathan. Thank you, Brother Dan. All right. Well, we're still in a series called Lifeline. It's a series about hope. Uh, we are synced up across the campus. All the ministries uh, on these weekends during this series are talking about the same topics. Um, and this week, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is with us no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, Jesus is with us. And, and what I want to do, if it's okay with you, I'd like to start by asking a question. And, and this is a question that I think all of us at some point in our life must uh, uh, come to terms with because it's going to hit all of us at some point. Uh, and this is, this is the question. The question is, what do you do in life when you come up against something that you know you must do, but you don't feel that you can do it? What, what do you do when your brain tells you, I must approach this challenge, I must deal with this problem, I must get past um, this difficulty, but when you're all by yourself and it's just you and your thoughts, and you examine your heart, you say, you know what, deep down inside, I don't feel like I have the resources to deal with this challenge. I don't think I can, right? I mean, I know in this room there's going to be some folks who are going through the challenge of having perhaps lost your job. Maybe you worked at a place for a long time and expected to stay there for quite some time, but then you were laid off. And now you're dealing with the pressure of trying to come up with another job, and you've, you've filled out applications, and you've pounded the pavement, and you've done interviews, and you're dealing with the pressure of people around you in your life, friends and relatives and everyone, uh, are kind of you know, starting their attitude is starting to sort of be like, hey, what's going on? Let's get to it. Let's get a job. Come on, let's do this. And you sort of feel the pressure, and in your mind, you know, I have to, I, I do have have to find a job. But in your heart, your heart says, maybe I don't have what it takes anymore. Maybe I don't have what it takes uh, to impress an interviewer. Maybe I don't have what it takes to get this job. Or maybe um, you're dealing with a, a financial issue. You would say, my head knows I got to get out of debt, but my heart doesn't know how I'm going to do it. Maybe you have a rebellious child and you keep trying to give that child guidance and understanding and wisdom. You try to guide that child in a godly way. You're trying to raise that child the way God would want you to, but that child continues to push back against you. And in your head, you know, I need to find a way to raise this child in a godly way. But in your heart, you think maybe I'm not the person to do it. And I don't know if, about you, but when I, when I get to a moment like that, Right? When I don't know what the answer is, but everybody around me is looking for the answers, whenever I get to a moment like that, that's when I wish that God would give me a nice big easy button in my life. Right? This is when I want uh, God to uh, open up an easy world for me. Right? Uh, that, 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 you know, and I know God has not prepared me for this life. God has prepared me for the life to come. And I recognize in heaven there won't be pain and there won't be suffering, there won't be sickness. And I sort of begin to say, well, I wish we could have some of that down here. Right? I wish we could have a little bit of that down here. I wish I could live in a world where there was no arbitrary uh, and, and senseless change. I wish I could live in a world where if you needed money, uh, it shows up in your mailbox for no you know, reason. I wish I could live in a world where goodbyes only happen when you want them to and on your own terms. Um, I wish I lived in a world where if you got sick, there was one magic pill you could take for anything and it would make you well. I wish there was a world where if you got in an argument with somebody, they would admit that you are right and they are wrong, which of course is the truth, right? You know, this would be a world where there's no need for super Doppler radar HD. This would be a world where there would be no need for chemotherapy, no need for life insurance. 
an easy world. And if you get to that point, the, 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 the reality of life will quickly suck you back down into the vortex of the fact that each of us, no matter whether you're, whether you're rich or whether you don't have a lot of money, whether you're very influential or you can't get anybody to listen to you, no matter what position you're at in life, right, we recognize we all have massive decisions to make that affect the rest of our future. We all have enemies, people who set themselves up in opposition to you and try to make life difficult for you. We all have fears, things that, that, that nibble at the corners of our mind trying to make us feel intimidated. We all have these things, and we all have to deal with it no matter who you are, and you get sucked back into reality. But it is hard not to wish for that perfect world. And if you get to that point, if you're like me, and you get to that moment where you feel like you're sort of up against a wall and you wish, God, why don't you just give me a nice big easy button? It might help you to know, it might be comforting to know that God's own, Jesus' own disciples, right? The, the men who traveled with him and did ministry with him when he was on earth felt the same way, right? Do you remember when you, were, when you were a kid and you went on a road trip with your parents? You know, you're traveling cross-country and you're in the back seat, you know, with your, with your siblings. Um, and do you remember the question you asked your parents 500 times all throughout the trip? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How about now? Are we there yet? And your parents like, you're, we're, we're five minutes closer to where we are than the last time you asked, you know. What an infuriating answer. Anyway, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, this is what the disciples did to Jesus on earth, Right? Jesus, they continue to ask Jesus, Jesus, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is now when you establish your kingdom? Is now where you come in and, and take charge? Is, is, is now when you set up uh, your new government? And here's the deal. When we read the, 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 the Gospels as, as 21st century God followers, it's very difficult for us to contextualize this talk about the kingdom, right? You see it all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. For us... We don't think about things in terms of a kingdom. So it's really hard for us to really come to grips with that. But for the disciples, this was not a hard concept at all. Because it was all about kingdoms. They understood what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about coming in and establishing a new regime, a, a new government system, a, 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 a new form of the way everything worked. And his political structure would be the one in charge. They got that. What they didn't know was when God was going to do this. But what they, what they were thinking is, all right, we are the guys that are in Jesus' close circle. And Jesus says he's going to be the boss. Well, it just sort of goes to reason, right, that if, if anybody's going to have the cabinet seats, the company cars, the nice homes, the, the, you know, the political power, it's going to be the guys following around him. And it seemed like, well, that would be a much easier way to live than what they were living right now. I mean, as they spent their time with Jesus, they went through difficulty after difficulty. And if you, if you read through the Gospels, it is the curve got steeper and steeper. Problems became bigger and bigger and challenges were more and more. And they were becoming more and more pursued by the religious leaders and, and the political leaders of the time. And so as time went on, they needed to be rescued more and more. And they kept saying, God, maybe now's the time you're going to roll in and establish your new kingdom. Acts 1.6, the apostles were with Jesus, and they kept asking him over and over again. They said, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Many of us know what it's like to ask God that question. God, is it now? Is it now? Are, are you going to restore my life now? God, are you going to restore my finances now? Is now when you're going to fix my financial problem? After all, I didn't, it was not like I called somebody on the phone and asked for a recession. It's, it's not like this was my idea. I wasn't asking for this. Are you going to restore my financial life now? God, are you going to restore my marriage now? Is now when you're going to bring the right counselor, the right program, the right effective training issue into our life? Is now when you're going to do it? Are you going to restore my life now? This is what the disciples were asking God. Is it now? Are you going to restore us now? But folks, here's what's interesting. At that moment, when the disciples were saying, 
It's really important, Jesus. You rescue us now. Jesus gave them the biggest challenge of their entire life. In Matthew 28, we have what we call the Great Commission. This is what Jesus told them at this point. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, which is what our, what our tagline is for this morning, that Jesus is always with us. Now, did you notice that Jesus told them to go? Right after this, Jesus ascends into heaven, right? And so here, here are the 11 guys, right? Judas is not with them. There's only 11. They're standing there. And, and Jesus has gone up into heaven, right? Now, now, now think about this. They've just asked God, is now when you're going to establish the kingdom and God leaves. Now, if God, if Jesus leaves and goes into heaven and I'm one of the disciples, at this point, the word I'm, less, I'm listening for him to say is come, not go. When he goes into heaven, I'm wanting him to say, all right, guys, come on up with me. Instead, he says, no, 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 I want you to go out into all the world. It's important for us to recognize that for, God, for Jesus to ask his disciples to go and to, and to teach the world about what had happened to them was not just an, an easy thing to talk about. I mean, here's the thing. We don't have any problem, right, telling the whole world about something because we have Facebook. We can do it that fast, you know? I mean, I can, I can type on my Facebook thread, you know, I'm at Andy Ann's having a pretzel, you know? Some kid in New Zealand's telling their parents, hey, Jonathan's at Andy Ann's having a pretzel. He doesn't know me, right? And he actually thinks that I have an aunt named Ann. But regardless, I mean, I can, I can shoot that news around the world real fast. But you recognize in this time frame, there is no Twitter, there is no Facebook, there's no associated press. The only way really to get the news around was to do it face to face, which is a little problem for these guys because they're being hunted down, right? This was, this was the crucial moment that they needed rescuing, and yet Jesus said, oh, instead of, in, instead of me getting you guys out of this trouble, I want you to go face it square on. I want you to go out and tell the world about what has happened. There will be moments in your life where this is where you will find yourself. You will think at this moment, I've gone through this terrible challenge. Now God is going to rescue me. This is going to be the moment when everything is going to be resolved. And it's going to look like it's getting resolved. And when you experience that moment, you will recognize that you find that now you have a new, bigger, more difficult challenge than you had before. What do you do when you get there? What do you do when you thought your challenge was, your challenge was getting fixed and now you have a bigger challenge than you started with? I want to give you three truths, just three thoughts for facing that challenge. What do you do when God doesn't fix it? Three thoughts for that. You might want to take out a pen and piece of paper. I'll give these to you quickly and we will be done. All right, here's the first one. The first one is, I am called to partner with God even in my current circumstance. Even in my current circumstance, I'm called to partner with God. And in order to really discuss this adequately, what I'd like to do is talk for a moment about the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is something that um, these days, a lot of times, you don't hear a lot about in Christianity. Certainly, you hear about it at New Spring. But, but it's important that we talk about the Holy Spirit because it is, for us as God followers, it is our primary point of contact with God. I want to talk about what the Holy Spirit is. Now, the thing about it is, the Bible tells us that God exists in the form of three distinct persons, not essences, but persons. God exists in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what we call the Trinity. Now, I've met a few people who tell me they understand how the Trinity works, but I don't believe them. Um, 
The Trinity is something that we, we, we understand that God says this is the way it works, but understanding how it works is something that I think none of us are going to know the side of heaven. Every once in a while, somebody wants to come and tell me that they figured it out. They bring me an egg, right? You know, They say, Jonathan, God is like an egg. Let me show you the three parts of the egg. This is what the Trinity is about. Or they'll say, they'll bring me a glass of water, right? God is like water. Let me show you the three states of water and so forth. Uh, and, and in love, uh, God, is, God is not like an egg, and God is not like water. God is like God. Uh, it means he's different than everything else else. He is, in, he is distinct and different, but the Bible tells us he does exist in three persons. So here's what's interesting. Here are the disciples. They've gone through this ministry with Jesus. Jesus goes into heaven, but before he goes, he says, actually, I know that it's tough for you guys that I'm going away, but it's better for you that I go away because when I go to heaven, I'm going to ask God the Father to send the Holy Spirit to believers and that Holy Spirit will be in them. Now, what is it, why is it so important that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is in the believer? Well, the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, look, up until now, I've been with you. I've been with you. When, when, God, when Jesus did his earthly ministry, the disciples accompanied him. They were with him, and they participated in his ministry. But Jesus said, when I go to heaven and the Father gives me permission to send you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in you, that will be different than me being with you because now it will be you who are doing God's work because God will be in you, and he will do it through you. See, this is why I use the term partner when I said God wants to partner with us even in our current circumstance. Because God wants to use you as a God follower to accomplish his purpose on earth. And what he has done is he has placed God himself, the same God that created the universe that we live in, that developed DNA before anybody even knew it existed, the same God that puts the stars, uh, uh, hangs the stars in the sky at night, that same God exists in you as a God follower, and is accomplishing God's work through you. And once we get that, it begins to shed some light on why we are in this circumstance. Acts 1, 8, and 9 says this, but you will receive power. That word power uh, there is, is the word that we get, the word that we have translated into power there, actually we get our word dynamite from. It's as though God is saying, but you will receive this explosive, exponential force when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? But then look, it says, and then you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Anytime God sends the Holy Spirit to a believer, there's always a job description attached. When God gives you the Holy Spirit, it is for a purpose. God gives us, we, we have God inside of us so that we can accomplish something. And the thing about it is, God wants to accomplish things in less than perfect environments. I mean, think about this. This was happening all the time that Jesus was developing this team, these, these guys that worked around him. Think about how he was developing them to be partners. He called a man named Peter who was a fisherman, and he said, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He called a tax collector, and he said, not going to collect taxes anymore. You're going to collect the hearts of men. He, he, he called Simon, who was a, a political fanatic, a, a, a right-wing zealot, and, and he said, Simon, now I'm not, you're not going you know, to be fanatic about politics anymore. You're going to be uh, fanatic about me. So you guys are going to partner with me to do something incredible. And every week when you come to New Spring, you shake hands with people as you walk in the door. Maybe when you go and you grab a, a coffee, someone with a badge hands you a coffee, or you take your kids to, to Kids World, and, and there's somebody there with a badge who, who, who makes sure that they're checked in correctly and get into the room correctly. There's maybe somebody, maybe a New Spring guide helps you get to wherever it is that you're needing to go. Now see, here at New Spring, we call them volunteers, but God calls them partners. 
See, the thing about it is, sometimes it's really important that, that, and I think it's really important that as New Springers, we get this, okay? What's important is that their, their volunteering is more than just helping us keep this ministry going. It certainly does that. We could not keep this ministry going if it weren't for volunteers. But it is more than keeping the ministry going, and it is more than them finding something fun to do on a weekend. They are partnering with God. They have the Holy Spirit of God in them, and God is doing things through them. When they tell stories to little kids, it is God working through them to teach God's truth to them. When they, when they open a door for you, when they hand you a cup of coffee, when, when, when they talk to you and hug on you and love on you and tell you that they're glad that you're here, when all those things are happening, they are an extension of God's love, grace, and mercy that's in them, and they're extending it out to you, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. It's important to them, but it is important to understand that they are doing that. They are partnering with God in their circumstance. Just because they volunteer at New Spring doesn't mean that they don't have problems in their marriage. Just because they volunteer at New Spring doesn't mean they're not going through financial problems. Just because they're volunteering at New Spring doesn't mean that their week hasn't been terrible. We can never afford to make the mistake of thinking that just because somebody comes to New Spring and puts the badge on and volunteers or they do something else in our community that they're doing to extend God's love to other people, we can never assume that just because they are doing that doesn't mean that on Friday they didn't have some terrible thing happen to them that threatened to take them out. You see, the thing about it is they get this, and what they get is that God has called them to partner with him even in the middle of what they are going through. They know that God has placed them there. As believers, God places us. He puts us in a position to be effective where we're at. That's what happened with the disciples. Here's the thing. Let me ask you this question. Do you think, do you think that if God had wanted to call those 11 disciples up to heaven with him when he went up to heaven, do you think he could have done that? I think he could have. And and in my thinking, the way that I think, I think if God had a heaven bus, right, with 11 seats in it, and he was getting ready to, to go back up into heaven and take the heaven bus with him, I would think, given my reasoning, that the 11 guys left over, right, would be the first guys on the heaven bus. In fact, they might have even had their names engraved on the seats, right? Because after all, these are the guys that had gone through all of Jesus' earthly ministry with him. Surely they would have been the ones to go. And that's just my backward thinking talking. Because the thing about it is, This is what God understood. God understood that the 11 guys that that God needed most to be on earth, doing what God needed them to do and what he called them to do were those 11 guys. The truth is if God had a heaven bus with 11 seats, the last 11 guys on the bus probably would have been those disciples. He needed them there doing what he called them to do. Was it easy? No. Was it, was it probably what they pictured their life looking like? Absolutely not. Was it, was it challenging? You bet. Was it difficult? You bet. Was it probably the last thing they wanted to wake up and realize that the next day they were going to have to go and do something that would, that would cause them to be in danger and, and also cause them to be mocked and ridiculed and sometimes very much not accepted? Was, was that a pleasant thought? No. But God called them to that and he had placed them there for a reason. And he needed them there. So when God decided to partner with these 11 guys, he didn't just call them to be partners. He called them to be partners in their certain current circumstance. When God called you as a God follower to partner with him, he didn't just call you to be a generic partner with, 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 with no boundaries and, and no idea of how your life was going to go. He understood that where he had placed you was where he needed you, and he wants to partner with you in that circumstance. 
Say, Jonathan, I've been in a divorce and my life is over. And your life is not over. God has called you and he wants to partner with you in that circumstance. You say, Jonathan, I filed for bankruptcy. My life is over. Your life is not over. And God has called you to partner with you in that circumstance. When God, called the, when, when God went back up to heaven and the disciples were left, it was more important than ever now that these disciples played the part in the story that God had called them to play. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 is one of my favorite passages. And it says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, that's the current circumstance, the, you know, the status quo, the mess we're in, are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, the mess we're in. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, which is what God has called me to, which is me partnering with him in my current circumstance. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Here's the thing. This would revolutionize your life, and the people who are around you would not recognize you. If we would really get, as God followers, that what we see when we look around our life is less real than the reality of what God is doing through us in our current circumstance. The thing about it is, the volunteers who were here this weekend, and many of you are in this room right now, the volunteers who are here this weekend, you have no idea what God is doing through you. I, I wish, I, I, there, there are times I wish I could just, I wish God could just take back the curtain for a moment and show you what God is doing through you in the lives of new springers that are walking on this campus. I know right now, you're, when, you're, when you look at your, your check register, things can look bad. When you, when you look at your job situation, things can look bad. When you look at your marriage, maybe things can look bad. But can I just encourage you for a moment this week and tell you, you have no idea what your service to God is doing. You have no idea what is really, really happening that you can't see, but it's as real as what you can see. Number two, I've got to hurry quickly. This is the second main truth, and that is this. I am equipped to do the impossible. I'm equipped to do the impossible. Here's the thing. I work a lot with, with couples and families that are going through difficulties, and often I'll hear that statement coming back at me, Jonathan, it is impossible for us to communicate. And I have to say, you are absolutely right. I agree with you. It is impossible for you to communicate. But the Bible says with God, all things are possible. Jonathan, it's impossible for us to figure out how to bring this child up. I agree with you. In this culture, in this world, with the challenges that you face, I agree with you. It is impossible to raise that child the way that you should. But God says, with him, all things are possible. See, the thing about it is, sometimes we forget how we're being equipped. We, we forget and we, we minimize it. We minimize how much God is equipping us. But the thing about it is, the Bible is very, very clear that God takes the believer and he says, I'm going to take you and no, you are not able to do the impossible by yourself. But when I, when I send my Holy Spirit and he becomes a, a real part of your life, you will begin to find that you can do things that are not possible. Acts 1, 8, and 9 says, but you will receive the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the, world, ends of the earth. I said a minute ago, this was an impossible task. How could you possibly do that? But, the, but God is telling the disciples, listen, don't be confused by what seems like the impossibility of the, of the task, because the truth here is, you can do anything if you're doing it with me. Philippians 4.13 says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now that Greek word that we've had translated over here that means who gives me strength means to give adequate resources to meet a challenge. 
So the Bible says when you go through a challenge, God is going to give you adequate resources for whatever that challenge happens to be. And how many of us as God followers are quite aware that, that God tends to give us just the right amount of resources and at just the right time, right? <laughs> never a moment too soon and never a dollar too much. I think God does it because he wants us to know it was him that was doing it, you know? And we look at those situations and we go, it had to have been God because there's sure no way I could have worked it out as perfectly as that. God says he gives us resources adequate to the challenge. How do I know? And this is a good analytical question for you. If you're thinking about it and you're following along with this, you might say, well, Jonathan, how do I know that God has adequate resources to meet the specific challenge I'm facing? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Ephesians 3. Ladies, if you, uh, all of us, if, 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 you, if, if, if you want to mark down a passage in your Bible, um, this is a great passage to set off with a pen or something. I said ladies a second ago because the truth is I know you're the ones with pens. You know, you, you have purses, so you have pens and eyeliner and, and anything else that's in that wonderful thing called the purse that us guys aren't supposed to know anything about. That's the problem. As guys, we never have writing instruments because we don't, we don't carry anything like that. Anyhow, uh, guys, you can borrow a pen from the lady sitting next to you. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 16, this is Paul speaking. He says, I I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, speaking of God here, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That's what we've been talking about. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Now this is what I want you to focus on. Look at this. And may you have the power to do what? To understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul is saying, if there is a problem, if there is a challenge, if there is any danger, it is not that God's grace, God's love, and God's mercy and his provision will be enough for you. What the challenge is, is that you might underestimate what God's love is. You might underestimate his power that he's putting in your life, and you might sell God short. If there's any danger, that's what it is. Yeah, I experienced this. When I, I went to a, um, uh, a Christian college right out of high school, and um, we had something at that college called collegians, which were kind of like fraternities, only they were nothing like fraternities. Um, and, and in these collegians, what we would do is the guy collegian, we would invite girls from other collegians to go on this group date, right? We would do this, this whole group thing. It would be a big event. We'd plan some date thing together. And, and so anyway, I was a freshman, first time I'd ever done this. And they said, we're going to go on a canoe trip because I guess in Pensacola, there's lots of you know, places to go canoeing. And uh, so we planned this canoe trip. And uh, it was the first date for me with this gal. I had asked her. And, and uh, so and I'd never, you know, gosh, I know it's difficult for you guys to imagine this because of the rugged outdoor persona I project. But I, I had never actually been on a canoe trip before. Right. So, but I, I figured to myself, how bad can it be? Right. I mean, you're just you're you're in a boat in the water, and you know. And then when I got there, I was extra. You know, I, I felt much much better because I looked, and the water wasn't that deep. You know, and it almost kind of looked like a kiddie ride, sort of. So then I started feeling a lot better, and and I got renewed confidence, which was good because I kept thinking to myself all the way to this to this date. I kept thinking to myself, this is a first date with this gal. You know, and and it's really lame to tell this girl, hey, this is the first time I've ever been canoeing. Right. You don't want to do that. That, that would really set you back some. So what I decided to do, you know, perhaps maybe I embellished my canoeing experience a bit once I saw that it wasn't going to be that dangerous. Maybe I might have acted as though I'd been on several of these trips, um, you know, and, and uh, so forth. And, and actually, you know, to just really solidify it, it's possible that I might have started just using random nautical terms to describe parts of the boat just to really sound smart, you know. 
you know. Oh, normally you'd call that a seat, but on a canoe, that's a mainsail, right? You know, so anyway, so she gets in the boat. And here's the thing. I had watched the other guys, right, doing this before we got in the boat. And I watched what they did. And what they did, she'd get in the boat. He'd put one foot in the boat and grab on the sides, right? And then he'd take his other foot on dry land and he would push off, right? And then he would take his foot and he would put it in the canoe and he'd sit down. And I thought, how easy is that? That's awesome. This isn't going to be hard at all. I thought, man, I worried for nothing, you know. So she, she gets in the boat, right? And, and I go over and I put my foot in the boat. Now, what I did find is I found that it was a little bit more wiggly wobbly than I thought it would be, right, when I first put my foot in there. But I'm okay. I'm okay, you know. I reached down and grabbed the boat, and I'm really starting to get a little worried now, right? And, and at this moment, at this moment, God starts to speak through my date because she talks to me and she says, are you sure you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> Don't worry, I've done this before, right? So, so I push off, and as my foot is in midair, right, I begin to find that, that the boat is, is starting to concern me. I'm starting to worry about whether it can hold me up, and so my body begins to gyrate in unnatural and, and in retrospect, counterproductive ways, right? And, and as that happened, now I should tell you the brochure for this lake experience said, become one with the water, right? I didn't know how literally they meant that, right? So I, I quickly became one with the water, which wasn't so bad, right? But then a second later, my date became one with the water. <laughs> there will not be a second date. <clears throat> you know, the challenge in all of that was not whether or not the boat would hold me up. Actually, we could have gone and gotten five more guys on that date outing, they could have all piled into that boat and they would have all stayed afloat. That boat was capable of holding a lot of weight up. The challenge was that as I got into the boat, I began to doubt whether or not the boat was gonna hold me up. And so I began to interfere with the way that boat was designed to work. And because I began to interfere with that, I ended up, you know, you know the rest. The, the challenge here is, in, in God's economy, our problem is not whether or not God can sustain us. Our problem is not when we put trust in God, whether or not God can, can hold us up, not whether or not he can get us where we're going. Our challenge is that we will second guess God, will undercut how much he's helping us, will underestimate the resources he's ready to place in us, and we'll begin to work against God, and we'll find ourselves in much more trouble because we didn't just leave it with him. God says, just trust me. I, I have the resources that you need. And I think a question, and as I'm quickly running out of time, I think a question to ask here is this. If that is true, if God is ready to su supply our needs, if God is ready to, to, to provide his mercy and his peace and his grace and his, and his resources, if that's so true, why is it so difficult for us as, as God followers to believe that? Why can't we not get it? That's a real simple answer. And that is that we're broken people and we live in a broken world. And Satan uses our brokenness to convince us that God is not good. Satan comes in our life and he says, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And when you did that and how you let these people down and how they let you down? Do you remember how every time you've tried to do this, you failed? Do you remember how your parents said you were no good at this? Do you remember how your boss said you were no good at this? Do you remember how you got laid off here? Do you remember how you didn't have enough money here? And, and, and Satan starts to put those doubts in our mind and we begin to start rocking the boat, rocking against God's provision and say, God, I'm starting to wonder whether or not you're good. And Satan has won at that point because he's gotten us to question whether God is good. Can I tell you that we do live in a broken world? 
That is reality. We do, we are broken people, and that's reality. But let me give you the secret as our time runs out. Let me give you the secret to living life in the sweet spot when you are a broken person living in a broken world. And that is this. And this is a truth we ought to plaster uh, on the, if, if, there, if, if your life had a bumper sticker, this ought to be the bumper sticker. And it is this. God does his best work, his best work through broken people. God never chose the well-heeled, the well-educated, the politically connected. No, God chose people that understood they were broken so that when they experienced success, they did not think it was about them. God chose people who would turn their success back to God and say it was God who created this success. And, and Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul says we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Paul says, look, on the outside, I, I just look like a throwaway container. It looks like a, just a, a, a a worthless clay jar, but on the inside is God. God himself, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of me. So the thing about it is, don't underestimate me. And here's the thing, when, when, when Satan comes and he bothers you and he tries to convince you that you're broken, the important thing is, is to stand up and remember that what I look like on the outside is not what's, what's really happening in my life. What's important is what's on the inside. You can look at the outside, and yes, I may look like a cracked pot from the outside, but on the inside is the Holy Spirit of God and he is doing things through me. He's chosen me as a partner. He's equipping me for the impossible and he's going to do it even though I may not look perfect on the outside. He loves to convince us that we're broken, but can I just remind you that God chose Jacob, a trickster, a man with fraud all over his rap sheet to, to become the fa founding father of God's great nation. He chose Joseph, who was a guy who truly deserved the title, the forgotten man. He was, he was, he was betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, lied on by his boss's wife. His boss's wife said he raped her. He was forgotten in the king's prison. And, but still, God chose him to keep a whole nation alive during a season of drought. God chose Job, a man who lost everything, his family, his friends, his money. And, and he used Job to show Satan of all people that a true God follower can't be dissuaded by his circumstances. He chose Moses, a guy with a speech impediment and a fear of public speaking, and puts him in charge of leading his people out of Egypt. He chose Daniel, who was a homesick kid that had been uprooted from his family, his upbringing, and his homeland. And, and he used him and assimilated him into a foreign culture to bring the message of a true God by showing that a real God follower isn't intimidated when you ask him to crack. See, Jesus often picked the unpopular and sometimes the unsuccessful because he knew those people would understand what was really happening. They would understand that when they experienced success, it was God, God doing something through them. I've got to hurry quickly. But I do want to say this. I, I, I don't want to hurry past this. I want to tell you this this morning, and I hope, I hope this will be a truth you'll take with you this week. The more inadequate you feel, the more adequate you are. The more broken you feel, the more God is poising, the more God is placing you. He, he, has you, he has you placed to do something for him. The more you feel unworthy, the more you are ready to point the world to the only one who is worthy, God will use you even in your brokenness. In fact, it is your brokenness that uniquely positions you to be used by God. Quickly, let me give you the third point. Third point is this, I'm guaranteed that I'm never alone. 
The third truth you should understand, anytime you're in a situation where you're saying, God, why won't you fix it? And he doesn't fix it. The third truth is this. God will never leave you alone. Research has told us recently that loneliness contributes in huge and massive ways to, to all sorts of problems that, that we face. Not only has it been attributed to, now, now we know that loneliness can cause or, or be a part of what affects um, mental illnesses. We now know that loneliness can also affect your physical health. We know that it can actually be predictive of heart problems. So we know that God has created us for a connection. And here's the cool thing. God says, when you become a God follower, not only can you never be alone, but the person that is always with you is God Almighty. So not only are you connected, you're not just connected with a nice person or a friend or somebody who's fun to talk to. You're connected to somebody who can actually do something about what you're going through. I want to tell you a story, and I'm already wrapping up our time, but I want to tell you a story. This story's not original with me, but it helped me understand this. The story is told of a young lady who was told as, as she was growing up that she was going to eventually lose her eyesight. Doctors didn't know when. They just knew that she had a condition that meant at some point she would become blind. And she lived a normal life. I mean, what, what else are you going to do? I mean, she's just waiting for time to tick down to whenever that would happen. She, she met a young military man. They fell in love. Um, they got married had a great relationship, but it wasn't even six weeks into their marriage, she began to lose her eyesight. And within the first year of their marriage, she had become completely blind. She went through this terrible time of depression, not understanding why she was going through this. And her husband finally came to her one day and said, sweetheart, I really think you should get back into your regular routine. I really think it would be good for you to go back to work maybe, to, to get back into the swing of things. And you know what? I'm going to help you, though. It's not going to be just you. I'm going to help you. And here's what I'm going to do. I know, you know, I know I have to be at the base and so forth, but I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to find a way to drive you to work. I'm gonna and we'll go together. I'll drive you to work, and I'll help you get inside the building, and, and, and you can work. And then when it's time for work to be over, I'll come and drive, and I'll pick you up, and I'll bring you home. And so they did this for quite a little while, and it was working okay, but his job became more and more demanding, and it became pretty clear to him as time went on he would not be able to continue to do this. So one day he sat her down for the talk he had dreaded having with her, and he said, Sweetheart, I know this is going to be hard for you to hear, but unfortunately I can't continue to drive, drive you to work and pick you up. I know it's going to be hard for you, but I think you're going to have to start riding the bus. But, but, but sweetheart, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not going to make you do this alone. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to meet you every morning. I'm going to take you for, for the first several days, just so you'll get used to it. I'm going to take you to the bus stop. You and I will get on the bus together, and we'll ride to your workplace together, and I'll help you get off the bus, and I'll help you get started. And when it's time for work to be over, I'll meet you, and we'll ride the bus home, and, and you'll get used to it. So they did that for several days, and she kind of did get into the routine. She learned when her stop was and that sort of thing. So first few days, she finally did it alone. First day she did it alone, she was okay. Second day, no, no problems. No, it was uneventful. She was fine. The third day was Friday. It was the end of the work week. And as she was stepping off the bus to go to work, the, the bus driver called after her, and he said, Ma'am, must be nice to have someone love you like that. She turned back and she said, What are you talking about? The bus driver said, I, I just said it must be nice to have someone love you like that. And she said, I, I'm, I'm still not understanding. And the bus driver turned and said, oh, you don't know, do you? And she said, well, I guess I don't. And he said, well, I've noticed the last few days when, when I've been on my bus route, and you, you get in the bus, there's this guy that follows us in his car. And he, he follows us to work, to your workplace, and he parks his car in the parking lot. And when you get out, he sort of 
it walks a few steps ahead of you. And he must be some sort of military man because when you get to the door, he opens the door for you and he salutes you and then he blows you a kiss. And she said, I had no idea. I thought I was doing this all by myself. I thought I was all alone. I thought he wasn't with me anymore. Can I just be honest with you as just another God follower this morning? Can I just be honest with you and tell you my, my greatest fear as a God follower is that I will allow myself to come to the belief that I am by myself and God is not with me anymore? My greatest fear is that I will come to a point in my life where I will not experience the reality of knowing that whatever I go through, God is with me even though I cannot see him. The Bible has said he is there. Not only is he there, but he is partnering with me in my current circumstance to do the impossible, even though I'm not capable of doing the impossible because he's equipped me to do the impossible. And the one reality that I can live with is that I will never be alone because he will always be with me.